Tribeca at the new home of Police Off the Cuff. I'm here. My name is Mark DeMeo, and I'm with my partner in law enforcement, Bill Cannon. What's up, buddy? Yo, we got Ed Mullins on, man. I feel like I'm almost paisan with him, you know? There's some Irish paisan shit, too. Is right. that a thing? Irish paisan? <laughs> <You're right>. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's new. It's Irish old paisan. <laughs> uh, let, let's, let's give Ed a better introduction than that. Um, Listen, the reason why we're here down in Tribeca is uh, Tribeca is basically because of you, Ed. Uh, you, you're a visionary as far as I'm concerned. You've done a lot of things. Uh, in case you don't know who we're talking about, this is Ed Mullen right here. And he is the, uh, the president of the Sergeant's Benevolent Association. And uh, he's a visionary. He's done a lot of amazing things with the SBA. Uh, he's going to tell you some of those stuff that, uh, some of the stuff that he's done and some of the stuff that's coming up. But uh, he was also... Uh, interested in what we were doing with this podcast here, and he had us come in for a meeting, and uh, I guess you could say the rest is history. Now we're doing it down here. What's up, Ed? How are you? Um, I'm happy to be here. I finally get to see what's going on for real. Yeah, now you're uh, trapped in between just, the two of us. I know. Talk about a sandwich. Here. You know, you know. I was um, I was a sergeant, as you guys know, for 22 years. Really? I know. And Ed was. Yeah, I think you remember me. I was a Manhattan North detective delegate, and. Um, so I went to quite a few SBA presidents, right? Well, at least at least three, right? My uh, tenure. Paul, Bernie. Yeah. yeah, it was a few. And, and, yeah. and you know something? Unions on the NYPD, a lot of times the president or the board guys are more self-serving. And Ed, I would say, uh, is probably the most honest. And uh, his heart's in the right place. He's really concerned for the sergeants and for the union. And he's done great things with this union. And I remember, I think it was in 2008, a group from Brooklyn tried to challenge him. And uh, one of the things they said... That Needless they, to say, they're, they not, around, gonna, they're no, not around anymore, No, but they were, gonna hire, they were going to hire the drug company that he just fired, that he found out stole a half a million dollars for the SBA. That basically killed the whole killed campaign. It. Going back to business <laughs> yeah. as usual. <laughs> that was hey, great. Uh, you know, this, this thing, becoming a, a union delegate, of uh, obviously, originally, and then becoming the president, that's... Uh, is that something that you always had in you? Were you like, uh, you know, the president of the class in the school as a kid? The furthest thing from my thought process. I just always got involved when things weren't right. Uh-huh. And I became a PBA delegate in 1984. Oh, so you were a PBA delegate before you got promoted? Yes, I had two years on. What year did you come on the job? 82, 1982. Wow. And, um, That's a long time ago. How old were you? 20. So I um, went to the 13th precinct, and the lounge was a mess. The showers were a mess. And I was like, Right off the like bat? This? Yeah, it was terrible. As a 20-year-old? See, that's, I just asked you the question. He said, no, no, I just want I things just, all right. Things, things are never right. right. Nowhere. You, know, you always got to fix it. fix it. He was the Jimmy so, Hoffa. So you're 20 years old. Wait a minute. Put out in head. You're 20 years old. I'm not getting the mic. Uh, you're 20 years old, and you get to the command. What was your first command? 13th precinct. So you walk in there, and you weren't happy with the shower room and the locker room at nah, all? Yeah, it was, it was disgusting. Why was the shower your first concern? <laughs> well, Long hours, all the time? Let's start off with the, uh, the, uh, the, um, the, pr the command. The, the lounge was probably gross. Like the lounge other. was gross. It had furniture that looked like it was thrown to the sidewalk. It was. Um, That's where they get it. Centerfolds <laughs> all over the ceiling, and it was about six, uh, seven female police officers who couldn't eat in a lounge. Based on you know the obscenities that were hanging on the walls, and um, you know it, it was a great place to work, good cops, but the facilities were just outdated and you know just not adequate for what should be for a police station. So but it's amazing that you're a rookie, right? Yeah. That's what you're saying. That as soon as you walked in, but you kept your mouth shut, obviously in the beginning a little bit, right? Just a little bit, not much, just a little bit. <laughs> and how did you go about? I ran for delegate. There was an opening for right delegate. Right off, right off the bat, and it was about two. Don't years Don't you need in. a couple of years to become a delegate? I had two years in, and I ran for delegate. And they say, hey, kid, wait a little longer, kid. Yeah, well, I, I ran against other people and won, and um, and you weren't intimidated at all. No. Because yeah. as a delegate, you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to wake up in the middle of the night and some drive to a command to represent somebody you don't even know. I, I didn't mind doing it. about I, serious I stuff. It but you didn't even know that much about the job yet. I, I, I read, I learn, I talk to other That's people. That's I just got involved and I stayed delegate there for about 10 years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So you were, you were a cop for 10 years before you made boss? Uh, no, I became a detective. And, oh, okay. Um, the DA too, you went... Uh, DEA union or no? I was in a DEA. Um, but did you uh, also 
No, they, they, um, I had a good delegate in the 13th. I, I got me detective out of the 13th. Jim Shry was the delegate. Tom Scotto was the union president. How did you make detective? Out of rip? Uh, out of rip, yeah. Uh -huh. Did you yeah. have a pinky ring back then? No, Irish guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, right? If you're Irish, Still no you rings. You can't get rings. Were you a big collar guy? Uh, in anti-crime, I made a lot of collars. The squad was mostly case collars. So you, go, you would walk in the command, check out the locker room, make sure everything's squared away, people putting away their stuff, nobody's nah, leaving just, stuff in the fridge too long, just, and then you go outside and collar people. <laughs> make your overtime. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> the, it just, things weren't right, and it was... Things were outdated. And no, it's great to be like that because I'm the type of guy. I just, well, I just complain. <laughs> I just walk in. This place is fucked up. Why doesn't anybody do anything? I change everything. I and change cops, it. cops love to complain. Oh, yeah, yeah. The good biggest that. complainers yeah. don't It's like 99 shit, right? complainers and there's one Ed. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's true. This job sucks. Everybody well, must no, it's a good job. It's a good time to get on the job. But once things, starts getting, uh, things start getting fixed around there and the locker rooms starts becoming habitable. I'll tell you how bad. Most people don't know, even know, have a, an idea of how disgusting a command can be, the lounge where you eat. I used to work in the Warren Squad. It was on 98th Street and 3rd, 3rd Avenue, Manhattan Warren Squad. And when before you went in there to the lounge to eat, you'd have to, uh, there was a bat on the other on the side of the door, and you'd hit the wall twice and, and turn the lights on and off. And so rats. this way, the rats, you could see them exiting the room, and there was a, a pipe against the wall. You could see them running on the wall back into their hole, and they disappeared, and you go inside, and you'd have your lunch, and then there was a recliner there, and you'd take a nap, too. Was that real with rats the lights or off. metaphorically rats? Cops? No, rats. Rats, real big rats, real big like rats. this big. Yeah, man, that's the way. It, a lot of the precincts are like that. Yeah, I, I would say most of them. Yeah, most. And the you know city knows it. The facilities are outdated, and we don't fix them. You know, I used to love up in where I worked in the two four a bunch of years. They used to turn the heat off on the weekends. Just turn it off. Well, they, they do that they, in the they, academy they now. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I like that we don't put mounted out when it gets below a certain temperature, but cops stay out there freezing all day. Yeah, so exactly. Um, <laughs> think about it. Man. Take care of those well, horses. Who's out there? It's 15 degrees. You know the what they say, right? A good cop inside. never gets cold, hungry, or wet. Yeah. Try you can take that, that any way you want. But a horse can. <laughs> How about, like, what, sometimes... Uh, one of the tricks the sergeant used to do, because, you know, when they raise it, when you were walking, supposedly walking a foot post in the middle of the winter and it's freezing out, a lot of times, if you're a smart cop, you'll know where to go uh, to get out of the cold for a few minutes, right, uh, maybe so. a couple hours. Um, and, and the sergeant, when he comes over to give you a scratch, which is right in your uh, memo book that he, that he witnessed you on this uh, corner there, they used, a lot of times they used to touch your shield. See if it's to cold. See if, yeah, to yeah. see if it was cold, to make sure that you were out there. But a smart sergeant wouldn't touch a shield. He'd leave yeah. it at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. Not unless they were looking, uh, looking to uh, find that's, that, that's gender. Find <laughs> yeah, now it would be gender. Oh, forget right? it. Forget Couldn't it, do it. Mm -hmm. There's no way. So um, you're, you're a delegate now, and then you become a detective. You leave that a little bit right. until you become a boss. And uh, once you become a sergeant... How long did it take for you to want to become a delegate as a sergeant? About six months. Uh-huh. Uh, what was it that annoyed you about the sergeants did, right off the bat that you wanted to fix up? Well, a delegate that was in the command wasn't doing anything. Uh-huh. Um, what know. is actually your job as a delegate? Uh, basically to look out for the well-being of the people you represent. And that varies from they could have a family tragedy at home to... People have to vote for you. They do. But, you, you know, you oversee representation for them. You oversee something that may be happening in their personal life they may need help with. So um, something happens at, at their situation at work that is not right, maybe against uh, what they believe is the union rules, and they'll, they'll contact a delegate, or if they get jammed up, and by jammed up in some type of trouble, right. you might have to go there and represent them. You represent them. They could be involved in an off-duty incident. They could be involved in a shooting. They could be involved in just a dispute with a precinct captain who sees things one way, not necessarily the right way, and the next thing they invoke discipline. You act as their representative. So when you show up at one of these incidents where the cop messed up, and then, you know, you're hearing what happened, and you're like, wow, this guy really fucked up. Like, what do you do then? Well, if the guy really made 
bad decisions. You're like a lawyer in a way. Uh, well, to some degree, without privilege. But if he really made bad decisions, you explain why they were bad decisions. And you try to get the other side to see that maybe he didn't make the right decision mm-hmm. based on bad information. Um, you know, if he was just callous in his decision making, then you try to soften the blow as much as you can. Mm-hmm. You, know, you try to add a human element to it, not that it's always black and white. And do you do, does do you ha, do you really go out of your way, or or you feel like a, a obligation to when you know somebody's did something fucked up, and you're just like, no, fuck this guy. No, I I generally go out of my way, but if if a person really did screw up, the issue is much deeper. It's much deeper in the person himself, and then I would try to do is get them to understand and teach them mm-hmm. or spend the time, you know, following up with them to make things better in their life. So you made bad decisions. This is your situation. But, you know, if you get a little guidance, somebody to talk to, sometimes you try to get them right back on track. And, you know, it's sometimes the public doesn't realize also is that, you know, they can immediately say when a cop does something wrong, well, that's a bad cop. No, he was put in a horrendous situation and he reacted to the situation. And right. sometimes... He may have made the wrong decision because he had to make a split-second decision. That doesn't make him a bad cop. That's an excellent point, Billy. The, what happens many, many times is that, you know, the story that takes place becomes the, the narrative for everything that occurred. But it's not necessarily factual. You know, cop fires shot. But that's the headline. But they don't say why he fired right, the shot exactly. in detail. They don't say that the person that that shot was fired at, you know, was— wanted for X number of felonies and had a gun as he was fleeing the area. Right. They leave a lot of that out, and people don't read into that. They go, oh, there's another cop firing his gun. So the narrative gets changed, and that's where we act as the advocate for, wait a minute, let's tell the truth. Right. You know, we just went through that with Kizzy Adonis in the Gardner case. Um, absolutely did nothing wrong. Tell us about that case. So for the, the, the Gardner case. The, uh, okay. the, the chokehold case in Staten Island. Okay. We had a, a female African-American sergeant who is uh, assigned 26 days into the command. She's brand new. She wasn't even... She's a brand new sergeant. Brand new sergeant, but she... Just gets promoted. Just got promoted 26 days earlier. um, Assigned to the borough, you know, that night of the incident to go to the borough. Here's what's taking place over the radio and does what you should want your sergeants to do. She hears calls coming over the radio. She goes in a different direction to see what's happening. She gets there as everything is... Basically, almost over. Um, and Bratton at the time, Commissioner Bratton, uh, charged her with uh, failure to supervise. So, you know, you put the blame on her, you know, female African American, 26 day in rank sergeant, you put the blame on her. And that was not the factual story of right. what occurred. That was not what happened. No one ever said that she was assigned someplace else. No one, you know, talked about. And any of the media, how someone else was in charge of covering patrol, but they left her conveniently, you know, as the patrol sergeant. Why is that? Because it's part of the club. If you, you know, they they have someone to blame. So we let's lay it on a new sergeant and we'll lay it on the female African-American sergeant because it fit a better narrative narrative for the news media. Instead of saying, wait a second. Um, anti-crime, you know, you worked anti-crime, you yeah. ever worked anti-crime? Six and a half years I was Okay, but the sergeant in anti-crime is not supposed to cover patrol right. on anti-crime. But somebody made the decision to do that and put her out there as the patrol sergeant, even though she wasn't. But you, what about the guy that made that choice to put the anti-crime sergeant out? We, we let that go, which right, is probably right. the precinct commander. Ironically, all of these people have been promoted since. Um, no one talks about why the job... You, you know, know, Ed, let me just uh, stop you for one second. There was another incident that Bratton did something very similar to that. And I think it was the Asian cop that killed the guy in the stairwell. Girly and, uh, uh, and he suspended a female cop in the academy that trained him. I was like, what yeah. a stretch is that? Yes. How? I mean, oh, you need some meat for the press, so you're going to suspend her because she didn't train him properly? If people really look at Bratton, you know, what you will see is P.T. Barnum. <laughs> That's what you will see. You will see a guy who sells a product, and you know he's selling it under the banner, you know Bill Bratton, right. and how he changed crime in New York City in the '90s under the direction of Giuliani, but under the brilliance of Jack Maple. Jack Maple was the deputy commissioner of crime strategies, 
who was the think tank. And there was some other superstars. <laughs> there were superstars. Animal, Animal you know, was a superstar. Yeah, yeah. Um, Timony, a brilliant guy. Yes. So you can give Bratton credit for picking these people. But at the end of the day, he was sitting in the lanes, and that was his demise right. with the mayor, when you yeah. think about mm-hmm. it, right? right? He's out there selling himself, doing these things. Comes back a second time. But let's reverse it. Let's go to the first time when he's here about broken windows and enforcing all these little policies, because it's what you do to fight crime. He comes back on the mayor de Blasio. Yeah, we can reduce crime without those policies. But we now have, as a result of that, um, federal courts monitoring the NYPD over stop and frisk, which will stem from broken windows policy. You know, I always like to call that stop, question, and frisk. Stop, you're right. Because stop, question, I don't like that the media leaves out. And the there's question, another the point of the narrative. Part, you, know? I, it, and it, you, you know, it's catching on to everyone because the question is 33% of stop, question, and frisk, you know? Correct. And so. there's a whole process to that. Right, exactly. But and in the midst of this, suspicion to, to get that. there, yes. you've got to take yeah. people through exactly. it. That's one of the things we should exactly. always try to teach people about yeah. what's really involved in that. But you know, Bratton's reversed his position from where he was in the 90s. They, Ironically, so did Bloomberg now. Everybody was riding well, high on that, yeah. that crime What's stat. the common denominator to that, though? Bratton reverses it. Why? Mm-hmm. He wants to be police commissioner yeah. de Blasio. Bloomberg reverses it now. Why? Because he, he wants, wants to be president. president. Right. So right. does anybody want to tell the truth to the people of the city? That's well, the question. Well, it was working, and they all wrote it. And, you know, and they, they sucked every bit of they could out of a broken windows you know, out of it, stop question and frisk when it was convenient for them. And now the tide has turned and people don't want to hear those words anymore. And um, but you they know, forget. Mark, they forget. you know something, though? Someone put something very, uh, sometimes something very pertinent once in a while on Facebook. Someone said they should let the hunters hunt and let the rest of the guys that don't normally stop people just do what they normally do and not make stop question and frisk a numbers game. You know, that was utilized mostly by aggressive street cops and anti-crime. Well, it was, it was, it was, it was I, abused. My so. theory is it was to collect data. Stop question and frisk, and mocks on it, is that the stop question and frisk was, was implemented for the purpose of overzealous commanders looking to be promoted, going into CompStat, and being questioned as to what happened in your command. Why are we having all these shootings? What are you doing about it? Well, I stopped 300 people last right, week. exactly. We went from stop, question, and frisk of individuals under Terry versus Ohio and building up to what you were just describing, too. Everybody put their hands on a wall. So we had 10 people with their hands on a wall. One guy had a bag of pot. One guy had something else. One guy had a warrant, if we got that many. That's not the design of stop, question, and frisk. And as a result of CompStat, they got rolled into all of this, and people wanted to get promoted. We ended up with a big, big... Negative on the NYPD. Big bag of shit. Yeah, five, yeah. It's, um, it was like five a month at one point. They, they wanted uh, five 250s. But you can't put a quarter they, on the question. No, no. They wanted you know? it from units that weren't out there doing... But they shouldn't want it from anybody. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that's the way that you should be required you know, that if you I stop somebody to fill out the proper paperwork. On your, on your, your activity report, right. on your activity report, one of those lines used to be, uh, you, you have 250s. So then you, gotta, you had to go in there and Put the five in there that you did them, and then right. you had to go, go across the month and count them. And that's what they did. They created the And you know what? Themselves. For data purposes, when I was in the Warren Squad, we enjoyed having that because you were always constantly updating. You can go to the 250s when you were in the squad as well, and you can see, is there a new address on this person? Maybe the next time they got stopped, they didn't want to give their address again, so they gave their girlfriend's address, so their grandmother's address. Now we got another address. So you, we had all these different. It, it was, was a good, good tool. It was right. a great well, tool. They for also that. lost the database because of the abuse of stop question and frisk, where we right. would have the database of people stopped, which actually was a pretty good database but to have. Just think, as you said just a few minutes ago, is that you know we had a quota for it. So you knew from the very beginning that the policy would be illegal just by putting right, it. Right. So why do it? Why do it? And at the end of the day, the working cop in the street is the guy who got the ball. Well, you use that word, overzealous. They, they're overzealous. They, they, they Bloomberg want, walked they want, off. They want, they Kelly want. walked off, right. and they left a bag of shit for the people. And now they're all... They've all got to where they got, they got because or, or they received all these accolades because of that. And now they're all, after the fact, they're all, you know, they're pushing back. On, no, no, it, it, was, it, was, it was wrong. We apologize. We yeah, yeah, we apologize. Yeah. Yeah, so and like you said, it led to the federal monitor, more power for CCRB, 
And the regular working street cop now has to deal with this. And no one's ever apologized to the cop. No, the not to the cop. They no apologized, apologized to the neighborhoods the the that they did all the right. uh, I still don't understand why this girl was thrown under the bus, this sergeant from uh, from Staten Island. Now, there was those, when they were uh, out there enforcing this, this cigarette tax and, and looking to, to collar people for that, they weren't out. They were, there was a boss with them, wasn't there? No. So it was just no. four or five guys. The call for the Gardner case for loose cigarettes, there was a call that came from the chief of department's office yeah. for enforcement of loose cigarettes outside that location, the bodega location. Now, there's all kinds of rumors floating around as to why that call came from the chief of department's office. And, you know, people need to look into this a little deeper because uh, I'm here in the ATM machine and it was owned by somebody in headquarters and it, this had an interference in what occurred. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I'm hearing. Are you allowed to do that? You're allowed to own ATM machines? Well, yeah, you can own an ATM machine, but I can't own when I own the ATM, ATM machine and I start sending cops to the location to protect it, it's right, a whole right. different story. And that's, interesting. that's something that if it's true, no one's talked about. And at the end of the day, we have a man dead a cop fired and another cop that was used as a political pawn. And the real culprits to the whole scenario have probably walked away scot-free. And that's where I take issue with it. Well, did that inf the enforcement came from chief of department's office, but was that through the mayor's office? That those uh, I didn't hear that. But that but tax law is a federal law, right? So when you get that money for housing, isn't that included in there? You got you to tax on the cigarettes? Yeah. Yeah, but look, it's not a victimless crime, right? You own a store, I'm selling outside your store, whether I'm peddling socks or whatever it is. You know, you're paying rent, you're paying tax, you're running a business, and I'm undercutting your prices. So you're a victim in that case, yes. okay? And and let's be clear, you know, contrary to Garner being choked and the way it's all been described, um, he wasn't a choir boy. You right, know, he no. resisted arrest. Well, he already was involved in an incident Absolutely. that day. And he resisted arrest, which no one talks about. But should the world witness somebody die on camera? Um, he didn't technically die on camera. He died, you know, after he came off camera. But it's not. Hey, look, I get it. I get the way everything is seen, and there's still family members and things like that. But the playing field was not balanced. Right. And Pantaleo, uh, he took a hit because the Adonis took a hit. You know, Bratton, Banks, all the rest of them skated out the door. Um, you know, O'Neill, they all skated out the door. And you know, what's the real truth of it? Again, well, same thing with Amadou Diallo. I'm you know, deal. it was overzealous, yeah. um, grabbing the guns off the street. They flood these uh, these commands. But and here's was, the difference, Mark. Is it? You're right. We're going for guns. We're going for guns. When a cop makes a decision, all right, you blink. That's your decision. But we spend months, weeks, years, and in some cases, the rest of their lives. You know, Kenny Boss was one of those cops in the Diallo case. Kenny was kept on ice for almost 20 years. Before. Yeah, he just retired. He right? just retired. And he served two tours in Iraq, got all kinds of medals. He's jumping out of helicopters, saving people's lives here in the NYPD. The aviation. He Broke was in, right? both shoulders doing it. Okay. You, you took an incident that occurred in seconds and convicted people for the rest of their lives on what was a tragic mistake. Now, what people don't see is what we see when it happens, when someone reaches, what happens, how quick it happens, all these things. They don't see that. As we're sitting here now, there are surgeons all over the country operating on people on the table. They cut the wrong artery, you die. It's just an accident. Mm -hmm. right. Nothing happens to them. My, my point was that... Um just, just the numbers games with, with the department. Like, if you know, if you were in street crime back in the day, and you had to bring, I don't know, whatever, whatever it was, four guns in a month, and uh, listen, this area that we're working in now is there's nobody even out anymore, or they're aware that we got to put the guns in, but they still want the four guns because you can be replaced. Well, you one know of the things saying? they What's did with street crime back there that was a, a big mistake was street crime was most effective when there was 100 to 120 guys in the unit. And Safer came up with the idea of if, if 100 is good, let's put in 400. And we'll get, and they put, they watered it down. That's what I'm trying to and say. And street crime used to get the best of the best people. You've yes. got real solid cops that were out there, knew how to work the streets, knew what they were looking at in the street, knew how to talk to people. You know, let's go back to stop, question, and frisk. When I came in in 82, stop, question, and frisk, there was a logbook that if you stopped somebody, you would put I remember them in a book, okay? By the end of the year, there was probably 12 people in the book for all the stops that occurred <laughs> yeah, in the previous yeah, right. And if you were in a book, you, you probably was somebody that was related to like a lawyer, a doctor, or a DA, somebody that made that book. 
But for the most part, a cop would stop you, um, explain to you what was going on, ask you your questions, lead up to a frisk of weapons, and at the end of it, that individual said, thank you, officer, had a nice day. Right. So well, the encounter wasn't really, mm-hmm. you know, brutal is what well, We used to say back then in anti-crime, leave him with a good taste in his mouth. And they always were. Right. 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 And they that were. was a technique to yeah, that. That's right. That and you learn guys from the seasoned us. people, yeah. and the seasoned people that were really well-seasoned right. ended up going to the street crime right. units and did this on a daily basis. Instead of, hey, fuck you. Right. You don't like it, take a walk. And no. some people had an eye for guns. Some <laughs> people would be able to drive around and have an eye for... And if people don't believe that, then that's a whole police yeah, lance of exactly. people carrying weapons. You know, it's the truth. You know, now how do you go from from being a delegate as a sergeant to even thinking about? I mean, there's levels. You don't just run for president, do you? You got to do something. You gotta, don't you have to be something else? No, well, sometimes you can be a member of the board and run, or you can run as a delegate. I ran as a delegate. I got to the well, point where... That's the hardest way to do it, though. It too, is the right? hardest and way to like do it. It's just like politicking, you know, because right now the movie The Irishman is here. And uh, we have one of the actors here in studio tonight. What's up uh, today? What's up, Bob? Everything's good. Thank it's all good. Bob Mladenich. Malad- we'll yeah. give him a full credit. If, you, if you've name. seen The Irishman, there's a there's a, a, a monstrous, big, uh, scary, menacing big, guy. scary-looking guy. He does the walk. The walk from... Um, the gate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, right before the guy's going to get whacked in the, what was in the flower shop, right? Yeah. Barbershop. <laughs> no, it was a flower shop, wasn't it? Barbershop. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, but they had flowers in front of it. Yeah, because yeah. they stopped. Uh, you don't, you don't actually, on it. <laughs> you, don't, you don't see what happens. You don't see the hit, but you, the, you're just looking at flowers. Which is uh, it was very dramatic. Yeah, it was interesting because <laughs> you hear the noise in the background. But prior to that, you know something's up because all of a sudden you it's see this coming. this huge dude like leave one room and now he's walking down the hall. He makes <laughs> eye contact with the two guys that are gonna rub uh, the guy in the in the barber shop out, and uh, he, he gives him the wink. <laughs> Everything's okay, and then he keeps walking. And that's uh, that's my man Bob here, retired detective. So we got a full house here. We got Andrew here. Uh, we got, Mike, we got Michael O'Keefe on deck. Hey, on Ma- deck. Michael is on deck. And he's back Andrew, there when the he was kid. talking about getting guns. We didn't even he's mention the kid is here. Look, hand. Mike's got a lot of guns. <laughs> for, for our audience, you know, we have we have a new uh, engineer, Rashad, but we promised Andrew that if uh, try to get if him a we, job, we'll get him in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Went so, so right. unfortunately, Rashad, right. Rashad is sick, and we Rashad, we hope you feel better. He's fighting a bit of uh, the flu, and uh, so we we. Andrew's here, man. The kid is in. His beard is a little thicker. It's raining, bucket, <laughs> raining buckets outside, so he can't wear his uh, his open toe shoes. But he's here with us, man. He's looking good. I just wanted to give you an update of uh, our audience as well. Yeah. So, um, so you ran as a delegate. Yes. And uh, was it you, you won the first time out? First time out. Wow. Yeah. And you had to go from command to command or... Every command in the city. And you you're like half out there. He, hit me, with a, rallies, he right? gave me a $50 bill. There I didn't go. know what it was. When he, when he, how did you, how what's did that you, look like? <laughs> did you have to start, I guess, writing speeches and stuff or pumping the... I just... How do you pump the sergeants up? Are you just telling the truth. Uh-huh. You just go place to place and tell them the truth and what you could do better. But when you were a PBA delegate, right? Yeah, you can go to every single command and there's going to be hundreds of cops there. Correct. When you become a boss... Now, you're a sergeant, there's going to be less. So you go to every command and you talk to five sergeants at a time, or sometimes you get them all together in one shot? Sometimes you get 20 or 25, and sometimes you get two. But in commands where you get two, you go back you know, on a late tour, you go back next week. Mm-hmm. When you, when you ran, though, Ed, what was the biggest complaints from the sergeants? Our benefits had a 30% copay. Our contracts, we had years of zeros. Uh, we were just really being... The 30% copay. On prescription on, drugs. Oh, on prescription grubs. Uh, uh, grubs. Drugs. Drugs. <laughs> grubs. <laughs> Representation. We had to pay for food. We wanted you had, to, um, to pay for it. You had a... Uh, <laughs> Now you have one of the best policies, right? We have that's a what, that's zero what I percent copay. How'd you um, do that? We just cut out all the fat and. But literally, you had to cut somebody, right? <laughs> no, no. We we there's a lot of uh, hanky panky in the drug industry, and uh-huh. we figured it out. And you know, cops by nature are skeptical people. How many so. meetings does that take? Uh, to quite a few. Yeah, uh, two or that three was the greatest story meetings, I told you know? before. When yeah. the the um, that I, I forget the name of the company. 
but they were like really shady, and then you found out they stole a half a million dollars. Well, we had one company owed us about seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. Wow. Another company was operating out of a garage with overhead wires hanging from their garage and folding tables. And um, and this this company that you're talking about, this is the one that ins- uh, is going to give you the the insurance to. To pick up your prescription yeah, drugs. Yeah, anybody, anybody in America would go out with their drug plan, swipe your card, and walk out of the pharmacy with your script. It's the company that we're talking about. A lot of money here, right? Big money, big money. We had one of the people are fighting for this contract, though, right? Uh, yeah, but you, you don't get the contract like that. It's. Um, I mean, but these these companies you know, that are offering uh, this these pharmacies. Oh, they'll offer you everything for. A but they, they they want this deal, they right? Want it. It, it's big. So big you, you got to pick out which one. I give you a, an idea of the type of money it is that it, it goes gets floated through is in a course of. When we first got it, we had about nine hundred thousand dollars in reserve, and that would only last. Um, a little bit less than a month, maybe about three weeks. Today, we're about $32 million in reserve, and we've reduced our drug costs tremendously, and we're paying out millions of dollars a year on top of that and still saving money uh-huh. as a result of us wow, that's amazing. cutting all the fat. You, know, you said amazing. something like the guy wanted to steal a million by buying you a $40 bottle of wine, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. A, that's oh, a, really? And tell back tell, in the day, Soviet yeah. Union story. guys would do that, right? The, um, Take me out that, to dinner. It's going like to cost $30 million, you know? <laughs> it's not so much the steal, but, you know, the thought process was that that was the game plan. That we would just become buddies and not pay attention to what's going on. Is you know, One of the vendors at the time who had the contract walked into the office and like a Wednesday in the rain, wearing his dirty black raincoat. <laughs> and um, unannounced, you know, he said, I want to take take you out to dinner and, you know, sit down, get to know each other. And Oh, this is when you became When I first got in, about president, a couple yeah. months, and I said, I really don't eat much, so, you know, <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't do dinners. And he said, no, no, we'll go out, we'll get the whole board, we'll all go out, and I'll tell you how things run, and we'll have nice, good bottles of wine. I said, I don't drink much either, and the board doesn't eat. And it just didn't really go anywhere. And, uh, um, you know, he just... Was it was this guy out of the picture already, or you just... You oh, he was to, a walking he, dead man. He just didn't know it. But I mean, you he know, was still so here, but we No matter trained. what he would have done, you already had other plans. It was, unless he could turn us around and save us millions, millions of dollars. But uh-huh. um, he wasn't interested in doing that. So yeah. um, we just got rid of him, you know, as quickly as... And is, is the drug plan run uh, self, like, self It's self-administered. Yeah. We oversee it. Um, we're pretty critical on everything. We figured out how this game is run. They must not like you, um, the drug companies. But I don't work for them. I work <laughs> for the members, and that's, that's right. what's important. That's great. You know? So yeah. as long as the members are happy, that's the bottom line. Yeah. It's a powerful position. And, and now we can it's get Cialis, too. Yeah, it's a, it's now a, we get Cialis. Yes, <laughs> we get Cialis. I was like, well, I opened you're up good. the magazine. <laughs> I went, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> no more than from uh, Cialis from India. <laughs> <laughs> the blue chew. You guys get the blue chew? <laughs> the blue belt. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Yeah. It you used, used to say, no, that's a stimulus program. Right? Stimulus program. That was your joke. It's a, it's a, I remember back in the day when we said, hey, couldn't you get us the stimulus program? <laughs> what else is another big issue uh, that you got to fight for for your... Uh... It's always contract. Dealing with contract. Dealing with the politics of... Um, why is the New York City system like that, where everybody's separated instead of bargaining together? Why, why can't the unions get together? It's about sheep. It's, uh, it's fear. Um, a fear on whose part? I mean, if the if any unions, the PBA I mean, I, I and the SBA the and the well, LBA, it, it's different. Is you know, Pat Pat likes to you know get in there and throw punches, and um, you know he'll take it to arbitration. But for the most part, my feeling is that people want to be liked, and I think they want to be liked because taking a photo with you as the governor or the mayor, or the, you know, whoever you are, is is impressive. Um, but I'd rather take a photo, you know, with a member. Mm-hmm. Um, because they want to take a photo. Well, I'd good. rather do that. That's, and that's good. You know, that's your, a good quote your, right there. Your feeling is really to be liked by your membership and not worried about who you're supposed to, you know, take your pictures with. It's you, not important. So you can yeah. post it on the Instagram. Yeah, it's not important. And I think that that's a big problem. That I look at some of the deals that occurred in New York City labor. I'm president 18 years, and it's probably over $2 billion in health care givebacks that went to the city of New York. And... You know, like people are working for these things, and yet we're giving it back because the city says they have no money. But we're building skyscrapers and right. throwing money to every program. Did you go to college? Yes. 
Because right, I was wondering, how do you know all this math and stuff? Like, those... I don't know. You have people that do that for you. <laughs> <laughs> so they do the num- and they show you the numbers. You're like, this isn't right. And then that's when you step in and go like. Uh. Well, you have good people. You get good people to work for uh-huh. you. You can't know everything. So you have people that know their field. And you get good advice and you make decisions based on good advice. But isn't it still, it's still tough to negotiate with the city? It's difficult to negotiate with the city because it's always politics involved. And, you know, bargaining with the city, um, you know, this administration is not cop-friendly. Contrary to what they'll tell you, they're not cop-friendly. Right. Um, you know, Bloomberg did like cops, and, and he did pay the cops. It was difficult to get money out of them. But, but he tried to take our variable supplement. He, but a lot of that's political. That's the pushback, is every yeah. time they want to do a deal, they say we're going to take the coverage away from the line-of-duty widows and all the cops. <laughs> and I said, go ahead, take it. Let them yeah, have it. Yeah, yeah. And see where that goes on your end when we come against you. Right? Right. No one's willing to, you know, play Russian roulette. They don't want to get in the mud. They don't want to get the mud on them. That's the problem. So. Um, we kind of lost that old labor mentality that mm-hmm. everybody sticks together. Um, yeah, you remind me of that a little bit, like a throwback in a way. Mm-hmm. The type, because in your position, like you said, uh, I said powerful, but then you said something else. It's important. The position is an, an important, important position. position. But also, too, when you're in those positions, if you're not going to play ball, if you're really looking, looking out for your members, um, the people that you represent, then you might fall into a problem where all of a sudden you're not everybody's favorite guy anymore. As far as your members go. No, no, I'm talking about outside the members. The members might love you because you're out there fighting. That's but, all that matters. Yeah, but yeah, but also, too, what happens, you know what happens, is a lot of times, yeah. you know, all of a sudden, uh, you know, people that you take the pictures with like this, you know, the, instead of your members. Right. Those guys, they, they, they don't want to deal with you too much. Anymore. Well, they may not, but if that's important to you, then mm-hmm. you're going to have a problem. If it's yeah. not important to you, and, you know, there's plenty of pictures you, you will take with people who are good people, who are elected officials, who believe in the right thing and do the right thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not everybody that's that way. The, you know, there are, there are people who support cops and do things for cops, and they'll tell you the truth. And then there's the other people who just play these games, and because you don't want to take them on, you surrender. And I, I just don't agree with that. Right, you know? exactly. Amen. But you know what it is? I guess the whole point is is that you choose who you want to like you, and you choose your membership over these politicians that uh, you know, you're going to bang. You have to bang heads with them. It's, it's a simple process. If we can have a respectful, meaningful you know, working relationship, right. good. But if you think I'm going to sell the membership on behalf of that relationship, it's not happening. For a bottle of wine. It's not happening. It's just not happening. For a good no. bottle of wine. It's not happening. <laughs> yeah, you don't drink, right? No. That's what I heard, right? No. That's good, though. I didn't. I never mind. W.C. Field said never trust a man who doesn't drink. That's right. Yeah, I don't care, man. We'll you said a lot of things, <laughs> Especially That's girls. That's if the true. girls don't drink, that don't bother me at all. Sometimes it's a little intimidating. Like, how am I going to... You know, but no, if they if they don't drink, that's fine. You take them to a nice restaurant. They, that means they really you like you. Dinner. If they really want to go, if they still want to go out with you, and they don't have to drink, they probably really like. Then you. they made a good decision when yeah, they were yeah, sober. Yeah, yeah. And, now, and, and, and I'm saving a, lot, a bunch of money too. Mm-hmm. It works. So where's the uh, the SBA going nowadays? What are you guys looking forward to? We're still going. Well, you know, this platform is. You know, going to be built to. When you give, say this platform, tell tell all the audience. Well, we're we're building a inside blue platform, which is basically for law enforcement to give the message of law enforcement across the nation to give cops in the street a real voice because they can't speak for themselves on camera, they can't speak for themselves over the radio and identify themselves, but they can speak through us, and we will use inside blue as a platform to tell what really occurs in the street, to give the other side of the story, just like we talked about the Kizzy Adonis Gardner case. So people can get both sides of the story, because right now... They don't always get uh, the the, the media... If it doesn't fit the narrative, we might not get the whole story. You right? may not get the whole story, and there's somebody out there who becomes a victim as a result of it. You know, you said that you know? all the time. The media is always saying, um, oh, the perp was unarmed. And you've said before... No, the perp is armed because the cop is armed, and if the perp takes the cop's gun, he's going to use it well, against the cop. People don't realize, and I just went out on Twitter with that recently. I think it was, it was in Chicago. Um, Chicago police officer had a, uh, a guy up on a car who spit in his face, 
And this cop grabbed them, body slammed them right down to the ground, and people were like, oh, that was harsh. That was not harsh. That was justifiably deserving of someone who spit in your face to a uniform cop. Okay, He knows you're a police officer, and he spit in your face. So you're not supposed to call timeout, take out a hanky, wipe your face, and then say, please get in the backseat of the police car. That's just not right. possible. It's not even option number 75, right? That's not an option. Option number one was to flip him right over on the ground, take control of the situation, put him in cuffs, and put him in the back of the car. And that's what the cop did. What takes place if you don't do that, you're now struggling with this guy. You're in a resistant arrest atmosphere. So you can be punched, kicked, bitten, um, knocked to the ground, and he could even take your gun and shoot you with it. What people don't realize, they say, well, that didn't happen. Of course it didn't happen. You know why? He chose option number he was one a good cop. and won the game right away. <laughs> yeah. But if it escalates, we don't get to pick and choose. This guy's going to go through three options. Tomorrow the next guy's going to do four, and right. the guy's going to take my gun. We never know where that's going to happen. So we don't go on you know, patrol into the street with the idea is, I go out today to lose. I go out today to get my ass kicked. And let's see what happens. Well, it's like the fight in the subway, which we spoke about before on here, where the cop, one cop hits a kid and knocks him out. To me, I want that guy in my anti-crime team. That guy's well, a superstar. And, but and, and that guy's some, justifiable in that whole incident. Yeah. What's not being told is that, you know, prior to the officer was knocked down, um, you know, there was this train tracks that are running on both sides, platforms 12 to 15 feet wide, somewhere in that proximity. Anybody can end up on the ground. We don't have the option to go home dead. That's not an option we choose. And, you know, when there's large crowds and things get out of control, you have the ability to use necessary force. And what no one's telling anybody is that the department trains you to do these things. Exactly. They give you a stick, they give you a gun, they give you a mace, okay, they give you physical training. You're allowed to use any one of those combinations of tools to inflict physical injury compliance compliance Compliance, to the individual you're bringing with you and resistant arrest is not an option you don't get to choose that i'm not going to go if i go to arrest you and you don't want to come then i call for more people and i just continue to call for more people i need a helicopter call for helicopter i need emergency (laughs) service i get emergency service you don't get the ability to say i'm not going it's not going to happen because so many of these incidents now are being recorded and um you know, you have a public that doesn't really, they're not really aware of these options that you said and things that can go wrong. They're getting, uh, you know, they want to see a fair fight. You're not, you're fighting the law. It's <laughs> exactly. not going to be a fair fight. Uh, but because a lot of these incidents have happened, I think that there's so much pressure on these, these cops out there nowadays, especially here in the NYPD where you're scrutinized and they're dousing you with water and all these, uh, these different things, uh, you know, um, oh, before you know it, our suicide rate jumped up over here. I think we're, I'm, I'm not ten, sure. That, we had t- 10 last year. 12. 12. 12. 12 um, throughout and the whole year. In a variety of ranks, too. Wow. Yeah. And um, and so you, as uh, the SBA president, you're taking it upon yourself, and you really, you're really you leading this. You're at the forefront of trying to come up with a program, a suicide program, something that well, you explain it. Well, one of the big problems, and this is nationwide, is that cops nationwide do not trust the departments for help. They just don't. And the end result of, if you went to the department, to which you work in, for help, they will take your firearm. <clears throat> so let's just take the basic of someone who just got served papers being, you know, they're notified they're going to get divorced. I mean, that's a traumatic experience for either party going through this. But as a police officer now, you're going... You know, to get divorced, you got served. So tensions are high in the house. You got all this going on. Am I going to keep my kids, move out of my house? I got my job. My shift may change. All of this is impact me. I got to spend all of this extra money for attorneys. I may have to pay for her attorneys or his attorneys based on income. That's a lot happening at one time for someone who then has to go to work and deal with 911 calls, shots fired, sick people, People hanging themselves, all of these things. So a lot of trauma occurring. And you go to the NYPD, in this case, this department, and they'll probably take your guns, right? Not in all cases, but they do. So they say take your guns. They remove your firearm from you to give you duty status change. And the duty status change then puts you in a position where you're not out on patrol. 
you're not working with your buddies, and Can't make you're not going to make overtime, right. which now really impacts your divorce because it's all going to be about money. So we take people who have a problem and we put them in a deeper problem. And what I find, and I'm doing this 38 years, what I find is that they don't trust the department. I talk to cops every day of all different ranks, and including the chiefs. They will tell you cops don't trust the department. They don't trust the department. Right. But they do trust the union. That, that, that's an important part of this missing puzzle. So we're going to unravel a suicide program. I'll use the word suicide. But basically, I'm, I'm looking at it more like a life coaching program where that same individual that just got served calls us, tells us, look, I just got served. All right. Listen, it's happened to everybody. And we take them through it. Help get your lawyer. Follow back up with you in a couple of days. How's it going to call a lawyer? What's taking place? Keep working this person all the way through the process to try to keep them mentally strong. Mm -hmm. And if there's a point of crisis, we get them help. And we send them to somebody that they can get help, and we'll deal with the firearm issue. But it's not coming out where they're getting tagged and labeled and transferred. Well, didn't the department just start a program, and the first guy that went to it, they took his guns away from That's him? correct, and, but people don't trust the program, as we sit here now. Well, they just showed that you can't the trust the program. But even before that, they're yeah. like, oh, we don't trust this program. Yeah, yeah. So you have to take your assets, and right now trust is a big one, and use that toward um, a, a bigger picture, and that's where we're going to go with Well, the taking the firearms is... It's a unique situation, obviously, because of this job. Correct. Um, but it's also the reason why we can kill ourselves so easily, because we have access to a firearm. Right. Most people have to think about how they're going to commit suicide. And, you know, just thinking about it, either is it going to be a bridge gun. or, or right. um, am I going to hang myself or is it going to be pills with the, with the gun? It's, it's, it's two seconds. Right. The first thought in your head. And you don't. So, um, obviously, taking the guns away... It might be if the most important thing sometimes in these in these situations. It might. It might it's be. the stigma that's attached to getting your guns taken away. But it's so, Mark. It's also the assessment. Who's assessing whether this person needs their guns taken away? Mm -hmm. And that's the most important part. And part B to that is that does the guns really have to be taken away for 12 months or 13 months? Well, or? it goes. It's a bigger picture than that because here's what happens. Let's go back to the scenario of the person in divorce trauma. Okay. Every one of us as cops, right? You remember your first autopsy? Yeah. Where was that? Um, right here in the OCME's office on the 26th. And you were in the academy, right? Oh, that the first trip down there. Right, but you're watching autopsy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Same, same for me. That you so why is it that many, many years later we remember the first autopsy? What did you do the next day after you had the autopsy? Um... You mean by thinking about it? I went about my business. No, no, the next day. The next day you went to work. What did yeah, you do? What yeah. was the day like? Remember anything about that day? No. How about you? No, not really. But we remember the day we went for the autopsy. Yeah. Why is that? Because it's a traumatic experience. Yeah. And traumatic experiences enter into the brain. Don't ask me questions like that. And you get me nervous. I feel like I'm always going to get the wrong answer. <laughs> he thought like there was a test that he was going to get a grade. <laughs> he thought he had a study. I'm gonna, <laughs> what's that from the from Goodfellas? You might fold on the question. <laughs> but traumatic experiences embed into the amygdala area of the brain, which controls the emotion. So every incident we've encountered on patrol, fatalities, vehicle accidents, shootings, things of high trauma, we can probably remember those stories. No we, we we probably compartmentalize those. We do as little these little PTSDs. Correct. And they build up. And they build up. And then when it gets to the point of of brain injury, um, it needs to be extracted. So the game plan is to get the people at the point of trauma. So when you got divorced, when you're being served, uh, uh, the key is to coach them through it. So that they don't get to that dark place. How about a maintenance program where you can get involved? Because mental health is—I uh, don't—we're not even close. Mental to, health is no different. We're not than even cardiac close health. to understanding it right now. But mm -hmm. what we do are understanding understanding now is that these little PTSD, PTSD scenarios—they may build up. Okay, they may continue building throughout your whole career, and then one traumatic incident, like a divorce or something that happens on the job, they may—you take all those little ones plus this big thing. 
Now you have you got a major problem on your hands. I'm thinking if there's a maintenance You're way, you can go through your whole career where right. you might be able to, everybody, mandatory, has to go I agree. to speak to right. somebody maybe a couple of times a year. That's what we're working toward. Yeah. So this way right. you take the stigma away from, um, from going to see a therapist or a clinician right. because everybody has to do it now, almost like going to the range. You're going to make sure you can still fire. You're going to make it's sure that you still no different can than a cardiac think checkup. clearly. Yep. You go and you get your heart checked. There's a regular yeah, thing. It's I, the same thing. So we would all checked. agree that cops, after a certain amount of time, everyone has PTSD. Well, here's the scenario I give you. If you another test question for you. When you came into this <laughs> job, did you ever go into a store, a restaurant, anywhere, and prior to coming into this job and say, oh, I need a table facing the door. Did you ever do that? No. No. Okay. <laughs> Did you ever look in the window of a store before you walked into it prior to coming on this job? No. No. Okay. You learn those things. But you learn those things, right, to tell you it's tactics. What it really is is hypervigilance. Mm-hmm. And hypervigilance is one of the signs of PTSD. So it builds up over a period of time. And it's extractable from the brain, but it's extractable through what you're describing. It's, it's maintenance. It's coaching. It's acceptance of... You know, I got calcification in my arteries and a heart, so cut out the butter, cut out the fats, get on a treadmill, things like that. We don't treat the brain because we say they're crazy. Right, they're right. not crazy. This is what's happening. Mm-hmm. And we need to address it, particularly in law enforcement, before they get to that point of anxiety, before they get to that point where they're unable to make a decision. Well, it used to be that whole macho thing that to reach out and, and, the, and get There's help, a lot to you know? that. There's yeah. a lot that I can't ask for help because... I'm, I'm a cop. Well, I, I met with Navy SEALs who come out of theater. They get extracted to Germany. They get debriefed on everything they see. And then they're sent out for like four or five days, you know, hanging out in Germany, having a good time or wherever it is that they go. But in, in places I was told was Germany. And they get put back in with their buddies. Why? Because think about it. We've all done this. You know, we're in the same squad. You just got served with divorce papers. You're miserable. You get in the car with me, and we're talking about it. Right? Yeah. What I'm doing is I'm pure counseling you. I'm yeah, listening yeah, to you. Yeah. We're going back and forth. Next day, you happen to be in the car with him, and he's like, hey, how's that crazy wife of yours doing? And we're doing it again. Right. But we don't even know we're doing it. Mm-hmm. And we're all making three. Ah, you're a little short money, so we help you out with money, things like that. That's what we do. Cops do this every day, but we don't even realize we're doing it. Yeah. And it, it, we just got to remove the stigma, or we got to remove the department and the department. How about we, we remove the wife? <laughs> don't don't get married, guys. The moral of the story is stay far away from marriage, and you'll always be happy. <laughs> Come back next week when we that's talk a, about That's it. in the handbook. That's, <laughs> a, that's, my, that's my training officer told me at my first college. He said, Kit, I'm going to give you the three secrets to this job. Invest in real estate, don't waste your money on cars, and don't get married. <laughs> 38 years later, the guy was a genius. <laughs> oh, I thought you, you met the guy that said, take a pension loan every six months. Oh, that guy was wrong. <laughs> I didn't listen to him. Uh, thank God, right? <laughs> I didn't listen to him. I love that one. That was a lot of money lost. What, what are there... Um, in regards to the suicide program, I'm, I'm, I heard the rumors has it that you guys are putting together here in Inside uh, Blue, uh, you, Inside Blue 360, right? Yep. You're putting together, uh, you make, you're coming up with some original programming, something that could possibly help the department. Yeah. Well, what we're doing is we're doing a documentary um, on suicide, and you know, talking about real life cases and families and people who attempted it and. Getting a real understanding of what's occurring, and you know the ability for us to do it is is there because look, people trust us, and um, we're, we're not there to hurt them, we're not there to embarrass them, but we are there to try to help save other people's lives, and they want that also. So the idea is to get the information out there, information like we're talking about, so that you know people will listen and realize, wait a minute, that this makes sense, and there is somebody that you know I, I can get help from. Um, and not when you're in your deepest, darkest moment, in, uh, which I describe as when anxiety takes you over and you're in a pitch black room with no light under the door or the window and you just want out. And that's when they grab the fire up. We got to get to people way before that happens. But th- there is a point where even a union head like you would recommend taking someone's firearms. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When there's a point, you just have no, no Almost of no return. Yeah. yeah you well, got to. The idea is to save the life. Right. I mean, exactly. That's, that's the most but important people thing. People need to be coached and guided to understand that whatever the problem, it's correctable. Right. And life gets better 
you know, that's just going help. through the yeah. tough time. And that's what the, you got to drill that in on a regular basis. Right. So we're doing a lot of positive things here. We're creating this, this network to uh, send out positive images and, and, and uh, just so the law enforcement and their families can see other sides of the story, positive sides of the story, not just always the negative. Um, we're doing stuff with the suicide pre uh, prevention, and we're going to trying hardest. Are you getting together with the other unions trying to figure out um, how we can create this program? Are you going about it on your well, own? Well, once we're going to put it together first and then try to get some help from the department. Ask everybody to jump in. And then tell people what we're doing. And, you know, my theory is that, you know, people want to do it, not do it. But if you're a cop and you have a problem, whatever your rank, whatever your department, We'll help you. So a police officer could come to the SBA. Anybody who wants to save their life beautiful. can help us, but ultimately it's about... And they're not going to want to see that happen, so they're going to take the initiative and get it for their own, right. either if it's the PBA or the LBA right. or the CBA. Um, so what else uh, What else are we doing with this uh, Inside Blue 360? Well, we want to get information out. We want to tell stories about cops, even some of the bad stories and why things happen. We, we want to get that point out of what really occurs. And also we want to be able to give the the people, the viewers, the citizens of, of the city and other More cities. More police off the cuff. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and a race. A chance to a get the other nice. side of the story. You know how long it took me to make that brick mafia? <laughs> he said he's got an Italian guy. I'm thinking pizza. Right. You know? yeah, yeah, we got to get some sponsors, too. Uh, yeah, man. This is this is great, man. I want to thank you guys for, uh, for bringing us, Bill and I, in on this, on the ground, you know, on the ground floor of this. And like I, I told you when, during our first meeting and our second meeting, I'm here, man. I'm sure Bill is down with this, too, to help you out any way that you can. And I would love to be able to grab a camera and go out there and, and start, you know, giving um, adding content to this. This is going to be an app, right? Uh, it'll be is an that app. The goal? Basically, it'll have its own platform. You go on it's going to have a platform, and you're going to be able to go to the app. All social media driven. And you're going right. to be able to find our uh, our podcast, Police right. Off the Cuff. Bob, you're working on a podcast too, right? We have some good stuff coming. And we have uh, a couple of other people that we've had as guests already that I, I think would be phenomenal um, having their own podcast as well. And we might even have one for uh, you know f future writers. Michael could teach it. Future cop writers of America. Yeah, a a class on that. Uh, and, and get it. Because Buy the book. The, the, the department really is so diversified. And that's why I love doing this, because I love showing like how much, you know, not only were we cops, but we also had the, all these outside interests. And lucky enough, if you make it to the end and you grab the money while you can, uh, you'll be able to, you know, have a, a full life and go after all the other things uh, with 100% uh, with effort. That what that you were trying to kind of dabble in while you were on the job, like like acting for yeah. Bill and, and, and stand up for us and, and and writing for Michael and Bob too acting also writing for Bob, so um, this this is a good thing I think this platform is going to work for for all of us. But Mark, yeah. you know the other thing uh, with us is it's a wonderful thing uh, I've been out eight years already to be able to talk and not have to worry about what you say well that's the benefit you know? of it that's yeah, the key that's is a beautiful cops thing. now have a voice without having to have a filter right and they get to be in control of what is true and not deal about the ramifications of going back to yeah, work. Yeah, I mean, no offense. Really. There's a lot of uh, police podcasts that are popping up now all of a sudden. But they're all using guys that are still on the job. And the reality is you're talking a different language. When we sit down here and we talk, we're retired. You know right. what I'm saying? And, you know, we have a little bit more freedom. And freedom is like we're seeing right now in media. <laughs> Everybody took it for granted, man, for a long yeah. time, for many, many years. And now we're watching careers that it took years to build up being um, destroyed over a tweet. You know, mm -hmm. 10 words that should have never been put together. And well, then, it depends uh, if you wanted that career to be destroyed, then it should have been put together. Well, yeah, but also, too, nobody has a, it's harder to read some read into something funny when right. it's it's in words. Um, also, if you have a vendetta or a bone to pick with me, you're looking at every single thing that I say. Right. And it just goes to show you how powerful words are again. Again, where you could, you know, back in the day, you could say whatever you want to somebody. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. But now, yeah, it seems like. Well, know, look, we don't have to put a spin on things. The department has to spin everything. 
well before they no, you have the ability media. what you have is the ability to be the voice for the people who can't have a voice so right. you can get information from the people you know the people i know right and they'll tell us hey this is what's really happening and we become their voice and they know that we're not giving them up so what i think you're gonna hear you're gonna have a voice too right you got a little podcast yes, you're working on right Talk about a lot of you got a couple of uh, in the bank already, right? Yep. Who, do you, who did you uh, talk to so far? We just talking about issues and getting out, you know, the conflicts in government, you know, conflicts in the communities of, you know, color communities, people of color, and dealing with the police and what really takes place, um, and trying to build some bridges to uh, heal some of the. You know, friction is going back and forth. We got two uh, things coming up. You got the um, the SBA luncheon, right? What date is that? The twentieth. Twentieth of December. December twentieth. What right. time does that start? Uh, Twelve. 12, 12 p.m.? Yes. All right. I think I might be able to stop there. Because we were supposed to have a little booth and let people booth. meet us. There's little, yeah, yeah. Well, you might, they might have to just meet. fans can if you meet. Ten. 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 If you want to meet both be, Bill and I, then come early because i got to split by. He's <laughs> got a curfew. Yeah, he's got a curfew. No, I have to, have to drive all the way up to it happens to be um, another party I have to go to that night, but it's like three hours away. So Get a better off. It's his girlfriend. Cut his mic. Can't turn it down. But... And besides for that, then uh, then we also have the launch in January. Is there a, a date picked for that? Do we yeah, have? Yeah, you got to talk to Pam about that. All right, Pam. Pam is uh, the she's, producer. She's, yeah, producer. she's got the whole thing going. Ed, yeah. can, let me let me ask you one question though, and this is on my mind. And even when you're a retired cop, a lot of this stuff hurts. Is law enforcement in crisis across the nation? Yes, um, law enforcement have become the bad guys nationwide. Recruitment is down, I believe, like 60%, if that was the numbers. Uh-huh. Um, every yeah, department especially I in, um, I just read in the paper yesterday, they're having a hard time, not not Seattle, Portland. They're having a hard Portland, time getting court Portland's a city that's under siege, and that's, that's a result of elected officials. Um, we're seeing that in California. They can't get cops. Everybody's resigning and nobody's uh, taking a job. Why would you want to be a cop in Portland? Seattle's another place. You know, the, the Chicago... They're struggling out there with their mayor, but Chicago FOP and you know their president Kevin is doing a great job battling back. Um, How do you get the cops to do the job in a community like Chicago when they're they're under siege by their politicians? And being what I think up? is missing in the eye of the public is that cops generally want to do what's right. So when they see a victim, they see an idiot, they see a a perp, bad guy doing something. They're going to get involved. It's just who we are to say, that's wrong. I'm going to do something about it. And they do it in that aspect of it. Um, you know, you got the 911 calls that come in, so they have no choice, right? Call comes in, you're going to respond. How they manage that when they get there changes things. Um, there's an intimidation fact that it's now gone, where the public, and especially the scumbags in the street, are, are sitting back, knowing that they can get in your face with a camera, they can get away with certain things because your tolerance level is different than years ago. Right. And that the elected officials will support the scumbag in the street over the cop. What's happening nationwide is that we are, we are catering as a society, based on our elected officials, to 5% of the uprising instead of the other 95% of the good people looking to keep a, um, um, a steady community and a, a well-balanced community. Mm-hmm. We're, we're catering to that squeaky wheel, which is really a minor piece. Is this from criminal justice reform? Is that part of it? A lot of it's criminal justice reform because what we see is elected officials trying to get the vote. I mean, where we're going. But I think what's happening is a result of social media. The people that are crying all the time and screaming the loudest are this, that, that little small group of people. Correct. And all of a sudden, I guess we're just like um, people that, are, uh, as a society, we're not used to hearing people complain so loudly so often. We just want to put the fire out so we can go back to our lives. We just keep giving and giving and giving. And before you know it, everything's blown well, up in your face. Well, There's nothing you know, left it's to just ideas, too. I, I went and got that new enhanced license, mm-hmm. I needed six pieces of ID to get it, and they sent me home because I was missing one. And your and government ID from NYPD with over 20 years ago. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. That wasn't good enough. wasn't good enough. But yet no. they're giving licenses to, no not ID. to illegal aliens. With no ID. Nothing. It, it's right. unbelievable. Right. 
Well, we're not going to solve all the world problems here today, Ed. Uh, but we sure got around to hearing. We sure got around to hearing. At least, what, what, what we learned at today least is there's the a SBA plan. Pays for Cialis. At least there's a plan, and at least there are still good leaders out there that are helping, that are trying to do the right thing. And uh, I feel good with you in charge. Will you be my new boss right now? I'll be honest with you. <laughs> and uh, I think we had a great time. Uh, I think we want to have you back again. But I know you're a busy man. You probably got a plane to catch. No, right? no, no. I'm afraid of heights. We had to, <laughs> we had to put him on first because we were afraid he's going to yeah, get yeah, that call and run out the door. You know? He's elusive. We've been trying to catch you for a while, Ed. He keeps trapping me in here between the two of you. Real life uh, has a way of getting in the way. But I want to thank you guys for coming on and taking uh, t- some time to sit down with us, Ed, and uh, for for taking, you know... Uh, to having some, uh, you know, for, foresight and seeing that we, we're doing, we're onto something here, and we look forward to doing some good work for you and getting this word out and with the with the network, with our show, and real do, really doing some good things out there. And you are, and uh, I'm happy you're doing it because cops need it, and you guys are getting a good little following going. All right, so thanks for doing your thing, voice, man. Right? Thanks, thanks for coming thanks in here. Keep yeah, up just, the good I work. I want to say uh, one thing. As I, I was a sergeant for 22 years, and when I say that, people say, why was he so dumb he couldn't pass the lieutenant's test? <laughs> but I was a sergeant for 22 years, and for a big part of that, Ed was the SBA president. And I don't think there's a better union head in New York City. I think his heart is in the right place, which is the most important thing. He's honest as hell. That's really important. And he's out for his membership, not for that expensive bottle of wine from that guy with the dirty <laughs> overcoat. And so Thanks, Raincoat, yeah, the dirty raincoat. <laughs> All right, I'm police, uh, on behalf of police off the cuff, uh, I just want to say thanks again, once again, Ed. And um, we'll be back with, uh, with, with another hour. we got Michael O'Keefe coming in. And uh, stay tuned, man. End the tour. End the tour. <laughs> Thank you.